You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 437 of Dot, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Mr. Seth Miller. Hello. Hello. We, we, we swapped sides of the pod. We did. I'm back in the U.S. and you went to Europe. I, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh <laughs> You, uh, we'll talk about it in a bonus episode, but we have some quite interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I think we both uh, ended up far less happy than we wanted to be. Ex- exactly. So we'll talk about it in the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers. Um, let's talk about U.S. China slots and routes and whatever's happening there because it's so, it's a cluster. Yeah, we keep talking about this. There's an interesting story. This is actually a couple weeks old now at this point, but we keep missing it. Um, it was very interesting we remember we were talking about how the u.s airlines were trying to force chinese carriers to not overfly russia in order yep. to gain more access to the united states yep and china said officially did not agree to that and it was there the fa or the dot signed off on four additional frequencies so we're at 12 for each of the u.s and uh china now weekly which is still a tiny percentage of what it used to be and that wasn't included in the um messaging Except that it turns out the planes are actually flying on those additional routes seem to be adhering to the spirit of that request. Oh, interesting. So they are, uh, yeah, they are not over, not overflying. They're not overflying Russia, even though there does not appear to be an official requirement that they do so. I mean, that's an, that seems like a slight easing of tensions between the U S and China, in my opinion, just in yes. general. Yes. And for what it's worth, uh, whatever secretary of state was in China was in Beijing last week, I think. But okay, um, I mean, I think that's. I mean, it's honestly, it's like, it's. A, I think it's a good move politically for the United States to yeah. try and ease some of the. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff boiling over in the world, and to ease things, I feel like is is a good thing. Yeah, and financially, it should be valuable to the U.S. If you know, assuming the carriers actually start operating them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we're going to see a huge uptick in U.S. Chinese business, maybe from the Chinese side, but I think I think the damage has already been done. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for the airlines. I'm not sure about yeah broader yeah. business right now. Yeah, 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 and it, and maybe that's maybe that's all that matters, right? Is leisure travel to China or to yeah. and from China? I have an uncle who's uh, about to take a leisure trip to China, and I was shocked to learn that. Really? Yeah. Where's he going in China? I don't know. I was speaking to his brother, who's my father-in-law, and it came up. Oh, interesting. That he was like that, that he was going to get just be getting back at the you know, whatever when they were going to meet up in one of their hometowns, but. Uh, yeah, he's, it's like a group, uh, it's a group tour, but I think it's Smithsonian package. So those are back, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I mean, to me, that's interesting just because, I mean, as a U.S. tourist, it still feels a little rough to go to China right now. I don't know, like kind of uncertain. Like there's just, yeah, I, yeah, I made it very clear that wasn't on my list and we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested to hear like if our listeners are planning trips back to China. I know people are, I know we've, I, I've talked to people who are going to Hong Kong and to me, that's mainland China at this point. Like it's, there's very little to distinguish it from mainland China for me personally. Yeah. And uh, to that point, uh, cafe is reopening. It's the first class lounge in July and they've added a new lounge at the ferry terminal in Shenzhen. Oh, interesting. And didn't I hear that they're hiring mainland Chinese yeah, now? they're hiring. They're hiring more mainland China flight attendants and language speakers specifically oh, uh, to increase service. Uh, listen, when the, the market was always connections from mainland China, right onto the world, yep. that was a huge portion of what 
Cathay was built on. And maybe not the majority, but certainly a huge portion. And so getting that back is going to be easier than getting back the global traffic, especially with demand into Hong Kong reduced right now. So what do you what do you think like so you know, we have these tiered cities in China. Do you yeah. think eventually Hong Kong falls into one of those tiered cities and follows the same restrictions? Oh, bilateral agreements? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. What Steven's talking about is the U.S.-China bilateral has a limit on flights to tier one and tier two cities in China. So it's, it's, was it Guangzhou, Shanghai, Beijing, and I forget the fourth one is. Uh, it's not It's not, uh, not Tianjin, right? No, I don't think so. Maybe it is? No, and there's a fourth. Um, yeah, yeah. So those are limited. When we talk about the allowable frequencies, that's what's involved. And then like tier two cities you can fly are more open and tier three cities which is basically anything else any airline can fly to and that's why you started seeing a lot of that and the chinese government controls airline route planning for international service and was for most of them and had a sort of one route rule one airline per route rule and so you didn't see competition amongst the chinese carriers but you wouldn't see two different airlines flying shanghai uh, shanghai to san francisco whereas or to la and where in the u.s you would see multiple airlines try to do that so um, yeah, anyway, that, that, that limit would Hong Kong become one of those that would be brutal. I mean, right now, Hong Kong has open skies agreement with the United States, which means anybody can, I think it's open skies. Um, I know there's some restrictions for onboard cargo stuff, but I think that was cause we saw some slots getting applied for, but I think that was because of the onward destination, not Hong Kong. And it was not open skies. It's very close to it. So it's, it's Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and those are the four. It is Tianjin? Ones. Okay, yeah. yeah. Shenzhen. Uh, Shenzhen. On the other side from Hong Kong. Oh, Shenzhen. Yeah, okay. Down near Guangzhou. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, do I think Hong Kong could become one of those? I mean, that would be a massive step back in... Open skies relations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it would be I think it would be detrimental to their ability to recover uh, aviation-wise. And more broadly, as an academic... Yeah, actually, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, t- tell me about American wanting to appeal uh, the decision for the so, uh, JetBlue. This is so weird to me. American Airlines, we heard they, you know, uh, can't remember now who said it. Someone said when asked, I think it was CEO, when asked about the NEA ruling that they were going to appeal, and JetBlue was like, yeah, we're not sure. Since then, uh, JetBlue and, um, has said that it can't undo. It now seems like they're sort of in the background trying to come up with a secondary version of the NEA. The light version, which the court impl- implied might be acceptable, whether they can get that done and signed and sort of keep things moving fast enough, obviously remains to be seen. Um, they're also waiting for the final order from the court and came up with uh, the idea that 30 days was too quick to unravel things and asked for 120. And the court said absolutely not to 120. Wow. Which is surprising to me. I feel like yeah, that might I mean the... At this point, the summer is a wash if you're worried about injury to consumers. The something like even if they started counting now, the sum, the peak summer stuff is going to still be part of it for 30 days. Um, and the pain of unraveling it's going to be more significant than I think the court expects. But yeah, that's a super interesting situation. But JetBlue also came out the other day with a statement that like its systems can't tell the difference between a ticket sold before the deal and a ticket sold after the deal. Uh, like if like any particular deadline of when they would have to unravel things. So would they have to 
not be able to, or would they not be able to grant reciprocal elite benefits like free bags or whatever, seat assignments for some tickets that they did have, that that was previously promised and they wouldn't know how to not do it for the others and things like that, as long as it had the code share still assigned or something. In my mind, that's just a small financial issue, not a uh, actual reason to delay the situation, the ruling, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Quality, quality IT systems over there. I feel like I feel like that's what it is. Like I like are they are they that backwards when it comes to IT? I didn't yeah. think they were, but maybe yeah, they're pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, listen, I want to say running an airline is complicated, yada yada yada. Everything's built on legacy systems to begin with, and so it's hard to do it well. But they have a habit of doing things particularly badly, in my experience, like sending alerts for flights that were two weeks ago. <laughs> that's relevant. Yeah. Or, you know, sending reminders to tickets I've canceled. They, I'm not a huge fan of their IT environment, their IT integrate, uh, implementation. But hey, they know how to paint a plane. They do know how to paint planes. Well, they hire people for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess when you're, uh, you know, able to hire people, it's a little easier, right? Yeah. But the new livery, I assume you've seen it. Blue plane. I, I, I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, I like it. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's different. Um, I don't completely understand what. Are they, is it only mint flights or mint planes that will be in the new livery? So th- th- it was a very poorly worded release. No, this is the new standard for the fleet entirely. The first plane is a mint plane. Okay. Um, there will, and it has the mint tiles on the tail, the sort of yeah, yeah. off on two corners and rounded on two corners, uh, chiclet or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's how you're going to know it's a mint plane. I guess, but other aircraft types will potentially have other tail designs on them. So the tail fins situation is not going away. They have, uh, over the years, had probably 15 or 20 different uh, tail fins. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of one of their marketing bits. So they're going to keep doing that, plus all the special liveries. But So, yeah, I, mean, that's, I think that's two of my questions. One, do they keep the special liveries? Like, they got the Boston Bruins, they've got the Firefighters, the NYPD. Yeah. Got a lot of special liveries out there. Do they keep those? Yeah, that seems to be going to happen. The other thing they said, though, is this is the new standard, but they are going to they're not going to put any special priority on uh, repainting. OK, so like they're not going to take planes out of service, out of cycle to to put this livery on them. So it's going to be years of mixed fleet mixed paint jobs. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what the engine nacelles and nose cones look like. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say my one of my concerns was that the dark blue color would get hotter on the ramp mm-hmm. thing in the sun. Yep. Uh, two different people who work for paint companies or pa- companies that paint planes have assured me that that's not a thing anymore. Really? That there's a modern something, something that they put a coat on like a multiple coat painting process that reflects the heat away better. I don't know, man. I was in Houston on a 170 degree airplane. It felt like it was 170 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's okay. Well, we'll have to take their word for it. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of delivery? Do you like it? I think it's fine. Um, listen, it, I always get pissy about branding for the sake of branding, right? If you're going to rebrand the airline like this, why? Why now? Wait until that. Maybe they were expecting the Spirit deal to have closed by now. Mm-hmm. And this plane was scheduled to go into paint. And this was going to be part of that integration process. Right? If you got to paint 200 yellow planes, this is a great way to do it. Yeah. Um, maybe just the fact that deal is now still pending lawsuit and yada 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 that's why we got this without anything else going on but i don't know part of me says like it 
it looks silly to me to do this. They're not changing the name. They're not changing any of the other branding. They're just doing this. It's a little weird. Uh, yeah, but you can, you make, it's you, fine from a color and look and feel perspective, right? Like if you go into the theory of the condor livery, like it's very obvious when you see a condor plane now, the beach towel stripes, right? Like it's very, there's some liveries that are 100% distinctive and a white valley with random tails is less distinctive for jet blue than this blue one will be. I mean, you made a comment on Twitter, like, are you just trying to distract from the fact that you're yeah. struggling, right? Like, or that, that you've got some issues, internal issues, and you're trying to post yeah. some good news, basically, on the internet. I, I, I feel like I feel like that's not far from the truth, honestly. Like, yeah, you know, and, and you know that. Listen, everybody deserves a chance to try to make their brand look better. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, no news is good, or what is it? Uh, any any news is good news, or you know, yeah, any publicity. All, yeah, like I, maybe that's what's happening. I mean, I could see that. I mean, if you're a good marketing team, maybe that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, that? Oh, it looks an awful lot like a breeze livery. <laughs> I, I got that impression too. It's a little no. too close. A little too close for comfort. <laughs> um, what else we got? Let's talk about Aerolinius. They're doing some wild stuff. Aerolinius Argentinists. Um, so Aeroparque is the downtown airport in Buenos Aires. And during the early days of COVID, they widened and lengthened the runway to be able to handle wide bodies better. Yep. And now Aerolinius is launching. Miami and JFK flights from the downtown airport instead of was it Easy E? Yeah, yep. I don't know. How, I don't know what it's actually called, but I know that's the Iatico. That's the curve. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, that's an interesting play. There's an argument to be made that peak passengers will pay a premium to not have to deal with fighting their way through you know what can easily be an hour or two car ride from downtown out to the airport. Yep. And you're now almost almost central downtown. Yeah. It re- and it's. And for plane spotters, it's going to be great because you'll have like the the plane's taxi right up next to the fence. Like there's no <laughs> there's no space around anything, so you can see everything. Yep. And they, I mean, this is, I mean, this, I'd say this is big news because for a few reasons, right? Like you're closer to downtown, but on top of that, you you basically get what is international service where they were really running, you know, single aisle narrow body planes around. Maybe, maybe you know Brazil and Chile, yeah, domestic, domestic and short haul regional international. Yeah, yeah, and now and now that uh, I think it's a I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's it'll be interesting to see what they do with this because it, I I think it'll be a real money maker for them. Yeah. Um. One thing that was surprising to me is that uh, Aeropark is not slot controlled. No. So, so anyone could do this. In theory, anyone can do this. One of the challenges, however, is that. It is a very crowded, small ramp, so there's yep. not a lot of place to park a plane for the day. Yep. And so, if you're Aerolinius, you can fly it in from somewhere else, pick people up, and fly onward. If you're a U.S. carrier, unless you do a quick turn, which almost sort of works from Miami, but then makes one of the flights a daytime flight and one of them a red-eye, and typically you do double red-eyes for South America long-haul, um, unless they do one way as a daytime flight they'd have to basically park a plane somewhere that no one wants that plane to be for 10 or 12 hours like in some random corner i'm not sure there's even a random corner available i'm not sure the airport would let them have that long unless it was broken so they may have to fly a less than desirable flight time yeah and i and i'm not sure that the flight times for that works i want to say uh u.s air did charlotte when it got sao paulo or rio slots i forget which it Mm -hmm. did that it did a charlotte to brazil and back 
bought it and did it one way as a daytime flight, like a normal two hour turn at the south end. And that was very unusual. I mean, there are some Brazil daytime flights to like Miami. Yeah. But, th- but they are few and far between. And the Brazil flights are, you know, a couple hundred miles. Charlotte to Sao Paulo is two, only 200 miles longer than Miami to Buenos Aires. So 4,400 miles, you can do it. But that's one but direction is definitely less valuable at that point. And that's yeah. Miami. If going anything further north than there, you're really below. Yeah, because you're adding two hours to go to JFK, right? Or to New York. Basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. JFK to Buenos Aires is 5,200 miles. Yeah. So it's a little under, a little under two hours, but still, I mean, it's significant enough to, you know, it's now, you know, instead of arriving at 8 p.m., you're arriving at, you know, 9 30, 10 o'clock. Yeah. It's, well, normally it's a red eye. Yeah. But I mean, you're so you arrive at 8 a.m. both directions, essentially. Yeah. Um, but if you ran it as a daytime flight, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yes. You, you would, you would arrive. Too late for onward connections in most cases. Yep. Yeah, that's hard. It's a hard sell. Can we say, say, speaking of daytime flights? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I brought, I posted this on Twitter and I think yeah. you retweeted it on, from our account. Uh, Bogota to Madrid on Avianca uh, is run as a daytime flight. They have a daytime and an, and an overnight flight. And yeah. I, I thought that was interesting because it's like stretching the limits, right? Like it's, we were talking about why can't you do this from the West Coast? Well, I think this is kind of proof why it probably wouldn't work. It leaves Bogota at like seven thirty in the morning, and then lands in Madrid at like eleven p.m. Yeah, scheduled times are seven a.m. departure, eleven forty-five arrival, p.m. a.m. and p.m. So yeah, that is that's very similar to the Turkish uh, JFK flight in terms of timing. Yeah, different here being I'm not sure that uh, Abiyanka has onward feed at either end for this. No, because the return we had someone that asked the question like, what's the return time? And the return is it turns around as like a semi red eye. Yeah, it's like a uh, 2 a.m. departure that gets in at 5 a.m., right? Westbound red eye? Yeah, and like that one I could see being, like, from an inbound feed perspective, I think it's useless. But from a feed to the Bogota side, maybe it's useful? Yeah, I guess you arrive early enough. Yeah, yeah, I can see both. You certainly arrive early enough to pick, pick up onward connections at Bogota. I don't know what Avianca's partnership situation is in Europe for other feed at Madrid. I imagine not very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm thinking like Lufthansa doesn't fly a flight that lands at you know midnight. Maybe they do. I don't, it just doesn't seem like it would be a connection you'd sell. Yeah, from, right. doesn't Lufthansa fly to Bogota on its own anyway? Yeah, exactly. So it's like eh, I don't know if that's really worth it. So this it's a weird. It's like it's a weird setup. I think it's the daytime flight is there for people who you know you work all week maybe and you leave Friday morning or Saturday morning and get home late Saturday night. Yeah, like that's. Seems seems reasonable to me. I don't know if it's like useful from a tourist perspective, besides not having to get a hotel room, or you have to get a hotel room. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, um, and there's also a report out. I don't think it's actually been published yet for real that uh, by the airline that Delta is going to launch JFK Paris as a daytime flight. Oh, that one's interesting. Um, and for summer 2024, and I think that will have similar onward feed challenges now. Air France certainly provides more options at CDG. I'm not sure what they have for late night departures. I haven't had a chance to look at that. Yeah, well, how late does it? Do you know how late it's going to land? I mean, I'm assuming at 8 p.m. or something. I guess it'll be later than that. Um, okay. Let me see if I can find it real quick. What we're talking here, it's because uh, I, I was thinking like if if they arrive, yeah, depart, like... depart JFK at 8:30, arrive Paris 10 p.m. Oh, it's late. Yeah. So if you do a minimum connect time, yada, yada, you can maybe can catch an 11 or 11.15 onward flight. So maybe Air France has something that goes to South Africa that late. 
or something like that. I don't know how much Air France does into the sort of Eastern Europe 4 a.m. arrival bank. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, if they had landed early, I would, like, if it landed earlier, you could do, like, the North Africa flights, right? Like, some of the late connections to Algeria or Morocco, et cetera. Yeah. Like, that would make sense to me. Um, South Africa, maybe? Maybe they fall. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much they do after 11. I don't, unfortunately, I don't have access on this laptop to check by departure time. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Tell me about, uh, Alaska and, uh, Payne Field getting some new service. Yeah. Um, Maui's the place to be this winter. Apparently. Apparently, uh, Payne Field to Maui launching, obviously a mainline flight, uh, not a 175, it's, but Alaska has brought some mainline in already. I think Phoenix and maybe Las Vegas already get that from time to time. Yep. Payne. So yeah, Maui is going to launch this winter. Um, I think it's a red eye to start. And then after a month or so, it becomes a daytime flight both directions. Oh, interesting. Are they going to turn the plane from like Seattle and like make it like a, like, are they going to do, they're going to have a plane sitting there overnight to come back? Uh, it's, I'm not sure. I think from what I can tell, a plane will just sit, sit overnight at effort. Okay. Um, and they may rotate it through in Maui to get it back in the network or, I guess via Phoenix or something. I think it was a different type in the schedules than the Phoenix flights for some reason. That was a weird okay. quirk. Um, because they do they do Seattle, they do Seattle to Maui, and they do San Francisco to Maui, and maybe San Diego to Maui. Yeah, so um, I was thinking they they could use the Maui side to rotate it to one of those other locations. Yeah, starting January eighth, it's a daytime flight in both directions but the route launch is november 17th as a red eye back to the mainland yeah and in both case uh you know it's got 11 hours of downtime if it just sits on the ground in everett but it leaves at 9 25 in the morning and lands it just before 11 so there's not a lot of time to swap it there yeah yeah interesting um and it's got a one hour turn in honolulu based on that hmm. uh and then and then delta's launching minneapolis to maui Minneapolis, Maui, uh, for the winter season. The Alaska flights uh, year-round. I think Delta's Maui from Minneapolis is going to be a seasonal. Okay. A330? Um, I don't know. <laughs> that seems like a level of detail well beyond you know things I should pay attention to. Yes. Uh, and then Air Canada is picking up where Singapore is leading off with a Singapore-Vancouver flight. Or Vancouver-Singapore flight. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. right? They, they had the Bangkok already, right? Yep. Um, so now they're adding Singapore as well. It's, it's a long time in the, on a plane. Yeah. I mean, Singapore is a kind of abandoning Vancouver. Yeah. 763 ER, by the way. Wait, what? On, oh, on the Delta. Yeah, I thought you were, okay. I thought you were saying Air Canada, I was like Air Canada got a 763 ER out of the desert. Just to do this. No, sorry. Sorry. Going back to the Delta. Delta's putting its worst plane on the Minneapolis, worst long haul config on the Maui Minneapolis route. Yeah, 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 that's bad. Now, Air Canada's uh, putting a 787 on the Singapore-Vancouver flight. It'll be fine. Okay. I was like, who's going to have to swim? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've uh, Singapore ban- abandoned this route, in, or, or they are abandoning it in October, I think. Um, and so it's, I mean, I think it leaves a gap, right, for people in Vancouver and Western Canada to get to Southeast Asia. Um, the Singapore flight was a nice fit for that. Yeah. Um, but okay. I think... I was going to say, that there's certainly a COVID, a victim of COVID, like, right? Like, at one point, the route was a tag flight via Seattle. It's gone a couple different ways. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe Singapore just doesn't know what to do with it. Like, it's probably not premium heavy. Um, 
it's not business travel, you know, it's not a business travel route. Um, and if there is business travel, they could put those passengers on Air Canada down to Seattle, San Francisco, LA. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's odd to me. I mean, Air Canada clearly sees some leisure benefit to it. So just like they did with Bangkok and that. Yeah. And again, it's, it's not daily service. It's, you know, some of those limited bits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's nice. It's, I think it's good for Air Canada. They can utilize an airframe. So, um, and then Alaska is starting, uh, Portland, Miami, uh, and then JFK Palm Springs. Interesting. And then Las Vegas to San Luis Obispo, because that makes sense. Hey, listen, everybody loves Vegas. You should be happy though. American Airlines adding the Miami Portland flight. Also, you now get all of a sudden you got two options. Yeah, I got two options. Is it weird to you that they're like fighting over this route? Like they're partners. Like they're in the same alliance. Why same alliance? But they're not. Their partnership really only is out of LA, isn't it? Or West? It's the West Coast Alliance. I don't think this is technically covered by that. Yeah, I mean, they, that's the thing is like you, Alaska will sell you a flight, like multiple flights on American. Like they'll sell you Portland to L.A. on on their metal and then L.A. to somewhere else. Or they'll sell you Portland to Charlotte or Portland to Nashville on Alaska and then Nashville to somewhere else on hmm. American. I, I, I don't know. I don't. It, really it know is weird that they're fighting so much over this market that no one thought existed two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand the port. I mean, I, I know friends that will take it because they have family in Miami, but like, uh, that's like four people. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess they'll have a whole plane themselves. Sweet. My kind of flight. Yeah. Um, JFK Palm Springs. Hasn't JetBlue tried that? JetBlue is going to continue to fly it this coming season. So there's going to be competition on that route as well. Um, the main difference is that Americans flight will be daytime both directions and JetBlue is a red eye eastbound. eastbound. Yeah. So that'd be nice. I mean, having a daytime. So it leaves at probably like 7 or 8 a.m. and then gets into uh, JFK sometime in the afternoon, like 3 or 4. Uh, I think it's to JFK later than that, but... Okay, okay. I'm just thinking, I think that's kind of nice. Like, you know, you get a half day in pump frames head to the airport or something. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas, Las Vegas to San Luis Obispo. Like you said, people of Vegas, I guess I'll go get this line at some point. I, I don't know. <laughs> Seems random. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's like uh, they didn't know what to do. It's like they don't know what to do with like one of their new ones. Like, you know, just put it to Las Vegas. That's yeah. Um, I don't have details other than it's, that it's a daytime flight. So, okay. Um, and then the Paris Air Show happened. Uh, it's happening. Will happen. It's happening right now. Yeah, it's but there's not a ton of news so far, which is surprising. Yes and no, right? I mean, the big news was the 500 aircraft to order A320neos for Indigo, the yeah. Indian airline. Um, largest single order in history, blah, 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 blah. So fine. Um, but the deliveries aren't until 2030. Wow. Through 2035 for that order. And to be fair, Indigo has 800 other planes it's previously ordered from Airbus. Um, it has delivery slots going through the end of this decade. But I think... What we're seeing in a lot of cases is the massive orders that have been announced in recent years have, A, taken up a bunch of delivery slots. So there's nothing, you can't announce anything else because there's no planes left to deliver in near term. And B, airlines have put huge orders in and, you know, they, they don't need to do that very often, right? If you order 50 at a time, you can announce it every year. If you order 500, you just do it once. Yeah. So I don't know that. So, yes, there hasn't been a ton of news, but I'm not sure that the market had potential for much news 
Um, after after all the orders that have happened. After the significant orders that have happened, right? There, there are... Turkish Airlines is rumored to have a similarly large order. I think 600 planes is what was being talked about, um, that they delayed past the show for political reasons. Uh, Erdogan was busy uh, getting reelected. Didn't have time to... Didn't have time to drop my airplanes, because yeah. I guess he runs everything. Um, no, nah, it, it is a government-owned airline, so who knows? Maybe they were there were some questions about the future if the politics changed and there was a runoff election required so it shifted the timeline there supposedly um riyadh air the saudi idiocy is also is going to place a single aisle order but was not ready to announce yet um would not surprise me if riyadh air waited till the dubai air show anyway so it's got more of a local flavor for them yeah yeah um and then philippines airlines philippine airlines uh picked up i think nine a350s i if i remember correctly we knew this was coming yeah, we had mentioned. I think we had mentioned in a previous show. Like we, yeah, they were going to pick up something. Yeah, I thought we talked about this, but uh, we we learned that the seat layout will be uh, it's forty eight in business, twenty two premium economy, or twenty four premium economy, maybe two four two for three rows, something like that, and then uh, three oh eight in the back, ten abreast, like ten abreast. So they're doing three four three, three four three is the expectation wow. for the economy cabins. This is the first. Full, we'll say full service carrier, but this is the first legacy airline. I don't know how we classify airlines anymore because none of the terms really make sense. But yeah, not so, cool. How wide is that going to be? Like, how wide is the seat going to be? Um, so this is an interesting thing. Airbus in the last uh, year or so has been talking about this a lot, and I haven't been and probably should have. Um, they've redesigned the inside of the plane. They moved the rear pressure bulkhead back. They made a bigger lavatory up front. There's a bunch of weird little quirks about how they've done things. They've actually made the spacing between the exterior of the airframe and the inside of the sidewalls a little wider. They made that space a little narrower so that sort of the interior of the plane for passengers is a little wider. Yep. So it seems like they can fit a seat that is equivalent to nine abreast on the 787 or 10 abreast on the 777 which is not wide it is not the 17 inches yeah it's not the more comfortable we have 18 inch minimum width on all of our seats that airbus is known for but they seem to have finally given up that marketing bit and accepted that some airlines really want this and they can at least stay in the ballpark of what boeing was offering so not great but also not the worst thing in the world yeah it just seems i mean it seems i don't i don't think it's like the biggest deal but as we talk about in the bonus episode, like it's tight. Like it's, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way to get on one, at least not in coach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tight. So yeah, not great news, but I mean, I guess good for them getting some more A350s. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else you want to chat about? No, I think that's a lot. Yeah. I think, uh, if you have any comments as a listener, uh, want to hear more about something, leave us a comment, tweet us. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, I want to thank, uh, our Patreon subscriber, Kobe J for subscribing and supporting the show. Uh, and if you'd like to support the show, you can do that uh, on Patreon and you get a little bit of bonus topics that we're going to talk about here in a minute. So till next time, happy travels. Take care.